Good afternoon, good evening, I'm Dove Tuzman and you're on equal footing again. We've got a topic that requires tonight a forewarning to listeners, may not be child appropriate. It is on circumcision, we're going to be talking about male circumcision, yes, female circumcision will make its way into the equation of our discussion as well, and we'll be talking about circumcision not in some sort of particular uh, purposefully piquant kind of way, but in a serious way from a psychosexual perspective, a medical perspective, a religious perspective, it's a topic that I don't think gets enough serious discussion in an interfaith way or a way, let's say, between the observant religious community, at least the Jewish community, but we're going to get to other religious beliefs around circumcision as well in Islam and Christianity. And the secular world, the medical world, the psychological, uh, academic world. I'm grateful to my guests this evening to be talking about such a, a sensitive uh, subject. Rabbi, and this is no order of importance, but just going down the list are three wonderful guests this evening. Number one, Rabbi Nassim Barak Hetzroni. And Rabbi Hetzroni is at the Jewish General Hospital in Montreal. And he provides spiritual care and support. By the way, it's the second week in a row we've had Canadian guests on from Montreal. I love it. I used to live in Canada for about a year, and it's nice to be internationalizing this show more. Rabbi Hetzroni provides spiritual care and support uh, in Montreal, both as an experienced moil, and he'll tell us, for those listeners who don't know what that is, we'll get to, to the, the, the role, the meaning and the role of a moil. He works closely in guiding families through the circumcision experience, and he gives classes on medical ethics in Jewish law as well. He advocates for various community-serving causes, in addition to being a medical first responder. Uh, Rabbi Etzroni is a man of many talents. He's 40 years old. He's the father of seven children. Bravo, Rabbi. And counting, maybe more coming, God willing. Rabbi Etzroni initially moved to Canada to pursue a medical degree, but shortly into the start of that degree, he decided to change focus and pursue a rabbinical degree instead. He got ordained in 2004, and he also holds a degree in sports therapy, and he works closely with the Israeli Olympic team, and he also has a BA in psychology. So, Rabbi Hetzroni, welcome to Equal Footing. Thank you, thank you. Good to have you. And our next guest, Dr. Harvey Marchbein. And you can look up Dr. Marchbein at moheldoc.com. That's M-O-H-L-E-L-D-O-C, D-O-C.com. Because Dr. Marchbein is both a medical practicing board certified OBGYN in the state of New York, and he's also a moil. He's been in private practice for over 35 years, and since 2014, Dr. Marchbein has been the director of labor and delivery at North Shore University Hospital on Long Island, as well as director of newborn circumcision services. Dr. Marchbein has been, been performing circumcisions since 1975, both from a medical perspective and from a religious perspective. He's considered an expert in newborn circumcision and administration of local anesthesia, and he gives lectures on both surgical and anesthetic uh, te- techniques of circumcision. He completed the Brit Kodesh curriculum of the Rabbinical Assembly at the Jewish Theological Se- Seminary in New York City, and his Brit Milah, We'll get to that. That's a reference to the religious practice in Judaism, circumcision, the the, the ceremony. Uh, his practice encompasses the areas of Long Island, like the counties of Nassau and Suffolk, as well as the five boroughs of New York City and Westchester, which comprises about like a third of the global Jewish population, <laughs> the area that Dr. Machbein uh, covers. His uh, greatest rewards, though, have been his marriage, has been his marriage of 48 years to his wonderful and understanding wife, Gail, his accomplished children, and two exceptional twin grandsons. So, Dr. Marchbein, welcome. Thank you very much. Our third guest who's had the courage to get on the program and talk on live radio about circumcision is Dr. Anar Yukayev. And Dr. Yukayev is an assistant professor in the Department of OBGYN at Long Island Jewish Medical Center 
at Hofstra. He graduated with honors at the at Hunter College and he went on to medical school at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine here in New York. He finished his residency at uh, also at North Shore. My understanding is Dr. Yukayev and Dr. Marchbein know each other in their practice. And Dr. Yukayev and his family came to the United States in the 1990s from the former Soviet Union as refugees. He, his family lives in Brooklyn. He lives in Queens. He sits on a number of committees statewide and within the hospital system dealing with substance abuse and pregnancy and reducing maternal, maternal morbidity and mortality. It's been an interesting subject for another show. He's published uh, several papers, has a number of trials in the work, and he le- lectures regularly to medical students, residents, and fellows in the Northwell Health System. Also, as a fun tidbit, Dr. Yukayev was one of the first U.S. participants in a clinical trial for the drug to battle the COVID-19 virus. We have that in common, by the way, Dr. Yukayev. All right, Dr. Yukayev, Dr. Marchbain, Rabbi Hetzroni, welcome to Equal Footing. Let's dive in and get some of the, the vocabulary right. Uh, so first of all, what is the difference, Dr. Marchbein, between and the reason we titled the show "Male Circumcision" is that although when you know most of the times when people say circumcision, they're referring to newborn circumcision of of men. There is also female circumcision. Can you distinguish between female circumcision, male circumcision, and the difference between newborn and adult circumcision in men, just to get us started? Well, female circumcision for the most part, is illegal in most countries within the world. It is considered by many who have brought this about to be a disfiguring surgery and is not in the best interest necessarily of the women. It does restrict them in many ways. Dr. uh, Marchman, what is it? What is being circumcised in in, in, uh, female Ah, circumcision? And and feel free to speak a little closer to the phone if, if you don't mind. Oh, not at all. Not a problem. Basically, female circumcision is the removal of the skin that goes right above the clitoris, and it is frequently scarred over, which would reduce uh, sexual pleasure for those women. Okay. So, so that's essentially female circumcision. Male circumcision is removal of the skin that goes over the glands, which is the top portion of the penis, when I explain to parents when I'm doing a, uh, a Brit Mila, is we're taking away the skin that's covering, if you think of it, the helmet. And the helmet has a crown, and we want the skin to go below that, because not only is it more aesthetically pleasing, but it's also halakhically appropriate to have the skin below there. So for two reasons. for listeners that are not aware of being Jewish law. So it's a, it's a, it's a mandate in Jewish law to, to do that at eight days old. Exactly. Now, uh, if a infant is over a certain age, it is not appropriate to do it by the same instruments that we normally use with infants because the instruments that we use are really only rated and acceptable up to a certain weight. Once they get beyond that weight, then it becomes this pretty much the same surgical procedure, whether they're six months old or 50 years old. And what that is, is usually with a general anesthetic as opposed to newborns. With a general anesthetic in the more advanced procedure, you would actually have to take off that skin and stitch it, the stitch the remainder of the edges into the appropriate place under that crown or the lower edge of the helmet called the corona. Okay. Thanks for, so let's get a couple of the also religious terms defined. Uh, what is a moil? Uh, and maybe Rabbi Hitzroni, you could, you're a moil. You could, what, what is moil? A moil is a person that has been trained to perform circumcisions in, in, in accordance with the Jewish law. Okay. And, the, there are also other words that kind of have been mentioned. There's a, a, the Brit Milah, which is the actual ceremony. It's a religious ceremony. It, it involves the circumcision as well as some their prayers and other aspects to it. Uh, one word that might come up in this program is the is the sandek, who Sandek is the person who's actually given an honor in, in the Jewish uh, uh, faith of holding the newborn, right, when the, the procedure is actually taking place. So now that we've gotten kind of the, 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 the framework of the discussion – let me try to, and we're getting, getting a little feedback on the line for someone that's moving around the, the telephone. Okay, so l- let's try 
to Dr. Yukayev to kind of frame this also from a medical and psychosexual perspective. Let's put aside the religious law for a moment. And there's been a lot of flip-flopping over the entire existence of the American Medical Association, the AMA, that in this country sets standards and recommended procedures uh, in preventative medicine, for example. And over the last hundred years, you've gone from circumcision being not recommended to recommended to strongly recommended to there being uh, currently kind of an agnostic view uh, where doctors will inform in the pros and cons. Where are we right now, Dr. Yukayev, in terms of whether the American Medical Association, the American medical community recommends circumcision, religious practice aside for newborn uh, boys? So right now the medical uh, society is, um, as you're right, I think it is. it has kind of flip-flopped back and forth between um, whether it is recommended or it's not. Um, Previously, they said there aren't. Right now, as it stands, the American Academy of Pediatrics, actually, they have a task force on circumcision. And um, one of their last statements was basically saying that the health benefits of newborn uh, male circumcision outweigh the risk and that the procedure's benefits justify access to this procedure for families who choose it. So they specifically word it in such a way, families who choose it, based on, I think, a personal, uh, a person's personal beliefs, uh, familiar cultures, cultures from uh, certain nationalities. Um, the benefits that they do identify are prevention of urinary tract infections, penile cancers, and transmission of some sexually transmitted infections, including HIV. Now, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists, uh, the uh, the society that, that myself and Dr. Marchbein kind of belong to and um try to follow their guidelines, has also endorsed this statement, but I think it's been a little bit of a contentious statement, and as with most guidelines um, from a lot of these societies, that's just what they are, it's kind of guidelines. It's very rare for them to actually make a statement saying it should be done or it shouldn't be done. Uh, They purposely make these statements very vague in general so that it is up to the interpretation of both uh, patient and doctor, and so they can make a, um, a, a, a medical decision uh, together. Okay. So one of the challenges of doing this show when we get into these uh, sensitive subjects, often polarizing subjects, is that I try to play expert with the help of our producer and showrunner and do like research up front and yet it's just like, you know, tipping your, you're putting your, 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 your toe in, in, in the ocean. My understanding is that there's been a pretty significant shift over the last uh, 15, 20 years, Dr. Yukayev, in, in it going from kind of a cons- general consensus that circumcision was on balance, male circumcision, of course, was on balance a, you know, neutral to recommended procedure to there being pretty vociferous and significant debate when the lens is expanded, not only within terms of the medical benefits, but particularly when the lens is expanded into psychosocial impact, uh, psychosexual uh, impact. Is, am I right? First of all, is this show timely? Is there a, is there kind of a, a shift in, 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 at the ground level in the medical community on this topic or are things pretty? Uh, are things in a place of stasis over the last couple of decades? No, I completely agree with that statement. There are, um, barring a lot of the uh, posts that I see all over my social media feed, um, um, I've, I've attended the uh, the annual ACOG, so the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists. They have an annual conference um, held in different places. And outside of these conferences, you can always, always, always be uh, sure to see some sort of protesters there. Actually, see a group of mostly men, um, along with females as well, who show up with huge signs calling male circumcision um, uh, a form of mutilation as well. Uh, his body, his choice, words are used specifically, um, saying that it's an unnecessary procedure. It's a violation of body autonomy, people are arguing, as the infant can't consent to a procedure like this, which is, by 
most people at this point deemed elective, that they're understudied psychological consequences, potentially devastating complication or risks of the surgery. And um, you can actually, you can see that some of these men actually, when they come to protest, they, they put these liquids, these red liquids on their pants, like blood stains, in a way to protest circumcisions. Now, Dr. Marchbank can also attest to the fact that some of these protesters have been outside of our local hospitals here at North Shore University Hospital and Long Island Jewish Medical Hospital as well. In the medical community, there is a good amount of debate about whether these procedures are deemed to be medically necessary, even speaking from personal experience amongst the uh, officers and the gynecologists, and in New York City, New York State especially, it is the majority of people who are doing these procedures are obstetricians in the hospitals, uh, themselves feel uh, a little, I think, um, on the balance about whether they should or should not be doing these procedures. And uh, when they do consent patients about the risks and benefits, the majority of my colleagues do mention that it is a purely elective and cosmetic procedure. Okay, we're going to take our first break here on Equal Footing. We're talking about male circumcision, holy covenant, medical necessity, genital mutilation, all of the above. Sensitive subject, very grateful to our guests, Dr. Harvey Marchbein, Dr. Yukayev, who was just uh, sharing, Dr. Anar Yukayev and Rabbi Barak Hetzroni. You can participate in this conversation. When we get back, we're going to talk about with the rabbi about the, we're going to go back to the religious side, not only in Judaism, but also in, in, in other faiths. But participate in this conversation. This is a sensitive subject. It affects our, our sense of, uh, our physical identity. It's, it's the first medical procedure planned, uh, ever that we have record of in, in human society, male circumcision. Um, is how does it impact our our uh, sexual uh, sensitivity and pleasure as men? Call in, give us your thoughts, your questions. You can call in. I know this is a, this is a difficult subject for some to talk about. You can call in anonymously. You don't have to say your real name or your name at all. Seven one eight three zero three nine zero nine zero. That's seven one eight three zero three nine zero nine zero. You can also text a question or a comment. Again, attributed or anonymously to 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062. And you can do so either by text or WhatsApp. And we've already got some texts in, so we'll get to those after the break. We'll be right back on Equal Footing. Sponsors here on Equal Footing, and that's Mechanical Art Capital. Doing really innovative stuff. Mechanical Art Capital offers financing to watch collectors and watch dealers from anywhere in the world. They specialize in high-end pieces that often have high cash value. And sometimes you you need that cash value from your watch collection or your inventory if you're a dealer, uh, just as you would an equity line in your home. Well, now it's possible through Mechanical Art Capital's guaranteed buyback contracts. They're very easy to understand, very easy to enter into, very easy to, to execute. For more information on how to unlock the cash value of your watch collection or your watch inventory through Mechanical Art Capital, you can go to their website, mechanicalartcapital.com, or call 833-209-0972. That's 833-209-0972. And just last month, Mechanical Art Capital started offering free appraisals to watch collectors and watch dealers, which can have value as well for insurance purposes, etc. So call 833-209-0972 or go to mechanicalartcapital.com. Operators are standing by. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on, 
All right, you're back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tuzman, and I'm here with my guests, Do- uh, Dr. Harvey Marchbein, Dr. Anar Yukayev, Rabbi Barak Katroni. We're talking about male circumcision. I already got some feedback from some listeners, and one. this is just a quick one. I think it was Dr. Yukayev that was talking about the, the the kind of medical pros and cons accepted in the in the American medical community around circumcision. And your comment on HIV, I think, got a little muffled. Is there evidence that uh, being circumcised as a newborn uh, lowers the risk of HIV? Did we hear that correctly, Dr. Yukayev? That is correct. There is some literature that shows that uh, circumcision in males can lower the risk of sexually transmitted infections, including HIV, uh, by a certain percentage. But I think the, uh, as well as urinary tract infections, uh, but I think the important thing to keep in mind is what the incidence of this is. Right. Um, men are, are very unlikely to get urinary tract infections as compared to women. And the majority of my practice, most women who are patients of mine are going to get urinary tract infections at one point or another in their life. Comparison men, only about 5 to 8 per 10,000 per year in men, uh, ages 21 to 50, are likely to get um, a urinary tract infections, which is extremely low. In comparison with women, it's about 30 times higher. So uh, similarly with HIV, I think it depends on where in the world you are. In the United States, where the prevalence rate is 3%, um, you know, for you to decrease that 3% to a 2.8 absolute percentage, does it is it worth circumcising so many young males just to bring down a 0.2 percentage rate? I don't know. Right. Um, so one of the one of the uh, one of the questions that came in, sorry to interrupt you, Dr. Yukaya from from a listener, was around the percentage of, of men that are circumcised in general. So let's put this into context because it does uh, dovetail with your last comment, Dr. Yukayev. So in the United States, it's estimated that around 80%, there are estimates between 76 and 92% of American men are circumcised. It has been going down. So if you look, you know, going forward, uh, actuarially as older people pass away, because it used to be almost mandatory. They highly recommend that now there's much more neutrality in the medical recommendation for newborns outside of the religious context. So in Europe, uh, the number is, is closer to 25%. The highest level in Europe is, is in the UK, which is around 45%. Uh, there's a long tradition in the Anglo-Saxon countries, the UK and, and the United States, that actually dates back to the 19th century, pre-AMA, pre-American Medical Association, to the um, to fundamental fundamental Christian movements, fundamentalist excuse me Christian movements that were uh, where circumcision was 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 lobbied for as as a recommendation in hospitals. The highest rates in the world are in Israel, uh, over ninety percent, and in a number of Muslim countries. Interestingly, HIV rates are higher in most cohorts in the U.S. than in Europe. So that's um, relative to what you just said is an interesting uh, point of view. I want to turn to this to the the religious law. Uh, part and and Rabbi Hetroni, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you, if you don't mind, a pretty difficult, hard hitting question, and it's part of what led to this show. And you you refer, or someone, I think it was Dr. Marchbein, actually referred to this at the outset, that female circumcision is pretty widely considered genital mutilation. There's a committee on in the UN. It's outlawed in most parts of the world, and yet, in addition to, in addition to it being part of a number of uh, African tribal cultures, also some uh, Christian and animist groups uh, and elsewhere in the world believe in it. It is practiced and historically used to be practiced very broadly in Muslim societies. And it has been a part of Islamic jurisprudence so in a parallel sense to halacha or Jewish Jewish law. Now, that's a religious law that civil society in most places has decided is wrong um, and should be banned. And there are other religious laws, we have to be honest about this, in Judaism that are similar. Courts are forms of corporal punishment. There are, you know, rules around slavery and so forth that make their way into Jewish law that are no longer relevant. And, you know, that's the nice way of saying it. <laughs> Another way of saying it is they're banned in civil society. Why, Rabbi Hitroni, is female circumcision that affects pleasure 
that affects the ability to, and sometimes even cause pain in, in, in sexual intercourse. Why is female circumcision genital mutilation and male circumcision is not only okay, it's endorsed? Okay, so I, to answer, I, I can say like this. A female, according to Judaism, a female is, when she's born, she is considered circumcised. And by a male, where by a male, the concept is not to cut or or to damage or to hurt the baby, rather to have an exposure of, as one of the doctors mentioned earlier, an exposure of the glands, that the glands itself will be um, exposed um, at any given time because of its religious, um, whatever it represents in, in, in a spiritual aspect. So this is regarding the difference between male and female circumcision. A female is considered circumcised, and a boy is not considered circumcised, and has to be has to go through the circumcision. I guess I'm asking a, a, a different question, though. I mean, both are a form of even even if you are completely on board with the holy covenant concept of the covenant with God of the sacrifice of the foreskin. It's still mutilation of the body. I mean, I think we can we can agree that the the, the cutting off of a part of a body when you're eight days old. And I'm I, I'm an observant Jewish. I mean, I'm not. I don't claim to be at the extreme end of the spectrum, but I I, I, I am strongly rooted in my Jewish faith. But I think, I, and I can acknowledge that there's there's by definition a a mutilation of the body that's taking place at eight days old. And why? Why is that not more of an active debate? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it is an active. Why is there not more of an active debate about whether that's an antiquated um, aspect of religious law? So in Judaism, the fact that we, the fact that we do the circumcision brings the person into a certain, I can say completion, but it's in a way putting him in a place where, yes, you're much more whole at the moment when you're circumcised, after circumcision, than the person is prior to the circumcision. So it, if it has to be done in order for a person to come from uh, a place where something is so-called missing to a place that he is complete or he is whole, this is the concept of, of the circumcision. Although, yes, it is it is cutting apart, it is there is blood, and... I'm sorry. In Judaism, um, unlike uh, medical circumcision, there is there is an obligation for even one drop, but but for some bloods to come out. Um, this is a part of it. This is bringing a person from a place where he's not whole to a place that he is whole again, according to Judaism. So you're saying this is fascinating that the 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 removal of the piece of the body is actually a form of completion spiritually. That is correct. Okay. Dr. Marchbein, you're in an interesting position because you're a moil, you're an observant Jewish person, and you're also, I imagine in your medical practice, you, you need to ethically be in a position to appreciate different people's points of view. How do you navigate that in your professional life? I think it's actually very, very simple. First of all, I just want to re- uh, give the rabbi credit for what he said. And sometimes we explain to people, and we'll get back to your question in a moment, we explain to people that women are born, we say sometimes spiritually perfect or whole, as the rabbi said, and they don't need to be circumcised because they are spiritually perfect. But a brithmila, a bris, a ritual circumcision will allow the baby to take away uh, a spiritual blockage almost that Jeremiah the prophet talks about. Um, now, getting back to your question of... Uh, That's really, sorry for the interruption. It's really interesting. We had a show a few weeks ago on Shekhinah and the, the, the feminine divinity in Judaism. And you, and and thank you. You, you brought back a reference to, to that discussion around how women are almost innately closer to God and Jewish belief. And so we, as men, we kind of have to kind of, I'm just say this a little bit uh, ob- obliquely, but we have to kind of like 
jump through more hurdles. We have to do more work to stay closer. But the, the bigger the work, the bigger the reward. And well, a, so, circumcision is a big, big hurdle to jump through. Yes. Um, so what do I do in my practice? Well, when I'm doing a, a bris, a brit milah, people call me. And it is a pleasure, and it's, I always tell people it's my pleasure and it's my honor to be a part of this mitzvah, good deed commandment, for your family. As far as the hospital, we give them the information um, as we know it from our organizations, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, and we give people that information so they can make an informed decision. In fact, uh, one thing I do is before I do a circumcision in the hospital, I have a parent's information sheet that gives them the risks, the benefits, and all the alternatives to, as we would for almost any surgical procedure, because it is a surgical procedure, and I let them read it. I let them determine if this is right for them, and if it's right for them, in addition to a circumcision consent, which is a hospital consent, this is an additional piece of paper that they sign saying, I understand the advantages and the disadvantages and all of the other information that you're presenting, and I accept this. But we don't talk anybody into anything. They have to let us know that they want it. So we're going to take uh, our second break, and after we come back, I want to address with our guests, Dr. Marchbein and Dr. Yukayev and Rabbi Hitzroni, the psychosexual impact in life, in adult life, of being circumcised and just food for thought before we take the break the the most recent there are a couple of uh, national institutes of health uh, position papers on circumcision and its effect on healthy sexual life and one 2013 another much more recently 2020 and there does seem to be a coalescence putting aside the medical benefits or detriments there seems to be a coalescence that there is a reduction in uh, erogenous sensitivity. Um, there, there's a recent documentary that that uh, got a lot of awareness around this topic uh, from 2018. It's on Amazon Prime called American Circumcision. There are references from one of these papers that are available on the NIH website. Uh, one is called Male Circumcision Decreases Penile Sensitivity as Measured in a Large Cohort. Um, and the other is called uh, circumcision in childhood and male sexual function, blessing or a curse. And there are references to as many as 80% of the nerve endings that affect erogenous sensitivity being cut off in the portion of the foreskin that is removed in the, in the, in the helmet. And there's been discussion also in the psychosexual com- academic community around the concept of foreskin envy and the concept of feeling that there's something missing. Uh, so I want to come back to that topic after the break. You're on equal footing. We're talking about male circumcision. You can participate in the conversation by calling 718-303-9090 or texting or WhatsApping a, a comment or question into 917-428-4062. We'll be right back. Cut it. 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 Them bricks is way too high, you need to cut it. Cut it. Your price is way too high, you need to cut it. Cut it. Cut it. Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. I've been called. We're 
back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tuzman. We're here with my guests, Rabbi Hetroni, Barak Hetroni, Rabbi, excuse me, Dr. Harvey Marchbein and Dr. Anar Yukayev. We're talking about male circumcision. And before the break, we were talking about the concept of foreskin envy. And I have to admit, I, I, I have that, uh, as a, as a circumcised male and wonder, you know, what it would be like. What am I missing, uh, in terms of erogenous sensitivity? And, and, it, and also maybe a vaguer sense of there's just something literally and figuratively being uh, missing. And I want to go back to the medical side. Let's, let's leave the religious realm for a moment. And, and Dr. Yukayev, what are your views on this? Does being circumcised reduce sexual sensitivity? And is the concept, the concept of foreskin envy a real thing? That's an interesting question. So, you know, personally myself, I'm 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 Jewish, so I uh, I I second your 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 circum uh, your foreskin envy or how you call it. It's something that I think I've wondered about my whole life, and you know I, I know how I feel, and that's the only kind of reality. I know it's hard for me to compare myself to anything else, but there are certain research studies out there. Um, specifically one in the uh, uh, BJU uh, International Medicine, so it's an, uh, it's, an art, uh, it's, an, it's, an, it's a journal in sexual medicine um, that actually looked at a uh, certain amount of men uh, um, about, uh, in male circumcision subjects. Um, so they looked actually at a thousand, over a thousand uncircumcised men and compared them to 300 circumcised men. And uh, they basically asked them questions about sexual pleasure, orgasm intensity, how uh, the effort to to achieve an orgasm. That's one of the NIH studies, by the way, that I was referring to. So thank you for going into more detail. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then they actually did note that that there are a significant amount of men in comparison to men circumcised before puberty, men circumcised during adolescence or a later stage definitely indicated less sexual pleasure, but in addition to that, that a higher percentage of circumcised men compared to uncircumcised men completely also uh, reported lower sexual pleasure, lower orgasm intensity, higher effort to achieve orgasm, and unusual sensations like burning, prickling, itching, tingling, and numbness. Um, and this is by far not a complete study. I think that more studies like this are necessary, um, specifically looking at biochemical changes and uh, perhaps a nerve study damage, uh, nerve damage studies. But um, but this is definitely something that's worth looking into, and I think it's a topic that wasn't really discussed as much uh, in the previous years. Yeah, Dr. Marchbein, do you? What's your view on this? You kind of must see it from both perspectives, the medical and religious. Is, is your understanding that there is a reduction in, in sexual sensitivity and, and pleasure in adult men who were circumcised? Well, the interesting thing is that the studies that have been uh, discussed are self-reporting, and we don't know what kind of messages society has given us and how we interpret them. Unless you actually have um, the ability to measure nerve activity and nerve intensity, this is self-reporting, which is used in many studies, but may or may not be as accurate as we would like. Right. You know, it, it, this I recommend, if you're interested in this topic, anyone who's interested, no matter where you sit in the equation, because as, as listeners know, I'm a, a proponent of seeing different sides of an issue and exposing yourself to things that make uh, make you uncomfortable intellectually. This, I think it was done in 2017, came out in 2018. It's a, it's a razor-sharp documentary, uh, uh, no pun intended. <laughs> American Circumcision is the name of this documentary, and there's a, really a call to action for banning circumcision in the same way that there's been a call to action for decades in banning uh, female circumcision, which is now pretty much accepted worldwide. And part of their argument is not self-reporting. 
Part of part of what they do in that documentary is refer to men who were circumcised as an adult, where they have actually something to compare it to. Because Dr. Ukiah, you you said I don't have something to compare it to. I mean, you're circumcised if you if, if you were circumcised as a newborn or as a young child, you you don't you don't have anything to compare it to in terms of sexual life later. But in this documentary, they do have a number of men that talk about sexual sensitivity before and after, and it's really disturbing. And so, Rabbi Hitzronim, is it okay as a Jew? And this could apply also to other other religions where they're they're pro circumcision, like uh, Islam, for example. Is it okay to question? Is it okay to say, wait a minute, is 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 this still relevant in modern society? We've questioned other things, or is this one of those things that is just third rail? Don't question it. I'm even going to get in trouble as a radio host for having brought it up. Okay, so I would like to maybe go uh, one step back. I, I'm not a doctor, but I'm trying to uh, keep myself always, uh, you know, with, with the updates and being in touch with, with medical uh, medical routine that I work with in the hospital. So there have been a few researches done regarding uh, male the male circumcision that were circumcised. So it is correct that they reported, self-reported that they had less pleasure, but this was only the first uh, first period of time after the surgery. Uh, in the long run, it actually represents the exact opposite. So so it's split in, I think, three periods of time, the first few months and then the, 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 until the end of the year, and then more than that, which, which reports that they have more pleasure, uh, less problem with erection, uh, which in a way makes sense also with the anatomical aspects of it. Just imagine if if a person performs, you know, well, if he's uncircumcised, there is something covering the glands and the frame loom, which are the most sensitive areas in, in, this, in, in the shaft. So once you remove them, it should be it should give more pleasure than the than the opposite. What they reported is that at first, because of the circumcision, because of the procedure, the whole area was very very sensitive and and, and it was very hard for them. It was painful, and so on as a part of the recovery. But after I don't remember exactly how many months, but it's it's um, it's published uh, articles that uh, that I think are important regarding female circumcision. Female circumcision is split, split in three. The first part is what uh, one of the doctors mentioned, which is one small part is being removed, but the second and the third, and this depends on each um, each level of the so-called religion or the culture where the woman is coming from, and and over there the inner lips are being removed, and the third one, which is the hardest one, the inner lips and the exterior lips of 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 the entire female area is removed, which is forget about the. the the pain that that is in there, but also the recovery and uh, the the damage and uh, you name it later. So you're um, saying you're so saying for the female circumcision is kind of much much more intense. It's like a higher level uh, in a negative way. It's just more being done. Very very much. And in female uh, uh, circumcision, they have three ways to perform the circumcision. One is only removing the skin above the clitoris or with it, and the other one is the, um, the libia, the, the inner uh, lips. And the, the third one is removing all three parts, the part above the clitoris, the inner lips, and uh, the exterior lips. But, which... Rabbi, if we, if we found out through medical research that male circumcision as it's currently done and where it's done in the helmet of the penis had a, if it was proven that it didn't have medical benefits, I know that's up for debate, people are on both sides of that issue, but it was proven that it didn't have medical benefits and it was proven that it reduced erogenous sensitivity later in life. Would you then, under that circumstance, say, okay, this is an element of Jewish law that we ought to to start talking about rabbinically and challenging, or is, again, is it a third rail? Just kind of yes or no me on that. Yeah, so the yes or no is definitely it would be looked at because we do have conditions where a circumcision cannot be performed, whether it's hypospedias or cases where hemophilia or, you know, whatever it is that the baby has. And, and medically, he should not be going through the circumcision. Now, circumcision in Jewish law has nothing, and this is a big, big 
misunderstanding that the concept of the circumcision is to remove from the pleasure because we shouldn't be uh, dwelling on the concept of, of being together with a wife and so on. It has nothing to do with it. Well, that it's, would make uh, my point stronger, movement. right? If it has nothing to do with that and then we find out it does, in fact, reduce sexual sensitivity around which there seems to be a coalescence in academia, then that would, wouldn't that mean it should be questioned? Right. So there's no problem with it being questioned. And if medically there is a problem with doing the performing the circumcision, then we'll try to find, like, for example, a child, a kid that has hypospedias, we'll find a way of doing it in a way that won't be harmful. Right. Okay. We're going to take a break in a moment, but I want to, I want to read a listener's comment and then we're going to get to a, a caller right after the break. Thank you for being uh, patient on line four. So this is a, she wants to clarify writing right away she, that she's not Jewish. So she's not seeing it from a religious perspective, but I thought this was quite moving. Um, she wrote, I had to tune into this program. Circum- circumcising my son is my biggest regret in life. I mutilated my son for no good reason. I did it because it was culturally the norm at the time, and I didn't research it. They sent him home with a ring around it, and the foreskin fell off ten or so days later. It was horribly painful the entire time. Aside from that, sexually, that that foreskin does a lot to protect the penis and has a lot of sensory nerve endings. I much prefer sex with an uncircumcised man. It's more comfortable and pleasurable. I'm ashamed of myself for making such a terrible decision that will affect my son, and especially because it wasn't necessary. Big parent fail on my part. So kudos to you for being open and honest, the person who wrote that in. Uh, again, they clarified. They're not Jewish. They weren't writing it from a religious perspective. Dr. Marchman, I want to, after the break, we'll come back to you on that, on that comment. We'll be right back on Equal Footing. Thanks. They ripped it out, it made me shout, and now it's all I think about. My foreskin got snipped off when I was eight days old. Foreskin, they cut it off and made a fold. Now there's less of me to hold with lower sensitivity, or so I'm told. I want to be sensitive. You know, it's interesting. I curate. It's a collaborative effort, but I play a big role in curating the music for for these shows. And I thought this is going to be a tough one. Where are we going to find music around the topic of circumcision? And guess what? There's a lot. Try going into Apple Music or SoundCloud and putting in for and putting in foreskin or circumcision. And a lot of it are lamentations. You know, in, in the the musical tradition of lamentations, like a lot of country music, like that one is obviously a little bit of a parody. But um, singers lamenting loss that that was interesting okay well apropos of this uh topic tonight's topic let's talk about one of our long-term sponsors manhattan medical manhattan medical has a very important message not only for men but men's partners what is more emotionally painful than erectile dysfunction that's being unable to have enjoyable sex with your partner Manhattan Medical utilizes, utilizes a new, effective gains wave therapy. It can help you achieve excellent results. It's getting a lot of attention these days. It does not involve expensive blue pills. It's not invasive. It's surgery-free. It's painless. Most importantly, there are a number of people who cannot take other treatments in the market for erectile dysfunction because of medical conditions that they may have and potential side effects. With Manhattan Medical's Gains Wave Therapy, there are no side effects, and for most patients, there are wonderful results. So Manhattan Medical's Gains Wave Therapy can help you if you're dealing with erectile dysfunction. More than half of men at some point in their life deal with erectile dysfunction. You don't have to be in Manhattan to avail yourself of their service. They offer virtual consults through Zoom and so forth from all over the world, or all over the United States, I should say, Manhattan Medical. And this sponsor came to Equal Footing through a close friend of mine who's in his 80s, in his mid-80s. He had a lot of issues around erectile dysfunction. He could not take traditional therapeutic, um, use traditional uh, traditional therapies, and he used the Gains Wave Therapy technique from Manhattan Medical, and it had results from it. It really changed his life in a very positive way. Call Manhattan Medical at 888-EDQ-R9. That's 888-EDQ-R9. Or the numbers, the letters spelled out, I should say. Uh, <laughs> I'm having trouble tonight. I'm tongue-tied. The words 
listed as numbers. 888-332-8739. That's 888-332-8739. If you call Manhattan Medical about their erectile dysfunction therapy and you mention you heard about it on equal footing, you get a free consultation. That's a $250 value. Call now, 888-332-8739. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on to Are you back on equal footing? I'm here with our guests, Rabbi Barak Hetzroni, Dr. Harvey Marchbein, Dr. Anar Yukayev. We're talking about male circumcision. I really appreciate, guys, your willingness to be uh, on the frontier talking about this issue in such an authentic and open way. Dr. Marchbein, that, I'm not going to read the, the comment again before the break, but that was pretty hard to read. That was a listener who was talking about circumcising her son being the greatest regret of her life. Is that something you've heard? And how would you, how would you deal with, with, with some, a comment like that, uh, from a, consultative perspective because I know you're, you're both a doctor and a moil and you, you talk to families from different perspectives. Well, I want to make a few comments and I don't want to take a lot of time. First of all, I applaud the rabbi for saying healing is a very big process and whether you have a circumcision or other surgeries, it takes longer to actually get to complete healing. Um, so I agree with the rabbi there. Also, timing of a procedure if we have no way of knowing if we do it on a newborn, there may be absolutely no change. And if you do it when somebody's older and nerve pathways have become more developed, it may be a bigger deal as far as uh, sexual pleasure. So it may affect adults, whereas it may or may not affect newborns. Okay. Now, uh, there's a lovely concept in Judaism, not seven Nishma. We will do, and then we will understand. And sometimes that applies to the uh, Bible and laws there. And I just read something this morning that there are two schools of thought on, on Judaism when we have laws, Emana Peshutta, which is a simple, unquestioning faith, and Emana Behakira, which is faith through inquiry and analysis. And they say, do it in that order. Okay, now I've done that, and I want to get to the um, circumcision. I truly feel for this woman. I cannot even imagine what she's going through. Uh, the procedure that um, and the instrument that was used was something called the plastibel. The last time I saw that, I was in medical school decades ago. When she described um, the was, ring around the penis with the, the foreskin right, falling right. off it, ten it, days it, later. It, it actually looks like a almost like a figure eight. It goes in and out, and it has a different size cup on the top and the bottom based upon the size of the penis and what they do is they pull the skin up and they put a tie around it and they wait for the skin to necrose to die and then the cup comes off it is not I, again i haven't seen it's med- medical school it is not my instrument of choice i don't know whose instrument of choice it is and it may just be that the person who did this uses that instrument. It's used in uh, underdeveloped countries because it's not really considered a, made, uh, a big surgical procedure. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't use that. What we use, at least in the United States, and in, at least in New York and many other areas, there are two main uh, circumcision clamps, which would not have given this very concerned parent, this experience. We use a Mogan clamp, uh, which in 1954 changed from a piece of metal with a little slit in it, and Rabbi Bronstein said, let's make it easier for everybody, so he put a hinge and a lock on it. And that's what most Mohalim use. And then there's also something called a Gomko clamp, which has four different parts that would fit into each other. Also, very, very excellent results. And this mom and this child would not have had that experience. Let's, let's take another listener's uh, comment slash question. Then we're going to get this, to this incredibly patient caller on line four. And uh, Dr. Yukayev, I know you, you said you don't have a point of reference, but 
you know, how would you, how would you counsel this person? Uh, they, they say, first of all, to clarify, this is a Catholic listener from Latin America. Uh, and, um, he thinks it would be okay if it was a choice by a man as an adult. This is an uncircumcised person. He says, I cannot say, uh, I, I can say that I would not know what to do if I did not have my skin. I would not know how to masturbate. I would not know how to have sex. I really don't know how it is done without the skin. So when you, when you read a comment like that, Dr. Yukayev, th- that's the kind of thing, if you're a circumcised person, I think gives you kind of foreskin envy. It, it, is, is it fundamentally, is, is, is the sexual life fundamentally different with, between an, uh, a circumcised person and uncircumcised person in terms of like l- literally the acts, the sexual acts? In terms of the literal sexual act, uh, I don't believe it is, it is different. When, when a man gets aroused, uh, the penis will protrude past the foreskin. The foreskin actually retracts on its own. Um, and the foreskin does not stay enveloped, like as Dr. Marchbein said, as a helmet on top of the penis during the act of sex. It does retract on its own. I'm going to play my own devil's advocate here. And, um, <clears throat> and as Dr. Marchbein said, a lot of, and, 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 and the rabbi said, a lot of these studies are self-reported studies. But when you actually look at um, some of these studies, a little bit closer and you ask what, why the negative attitude towards the circumcision for people who do have circumcision, it's usually actually related to worse body image and sexual function, not really the circumcision status of men. Right, okay. Meaning that it's just more their own perception if they, if they keep hearing that there's negative connotations with it, they do. When you look at the actual anatomy of it, to be honest, um, there, there are some systematic reviews looking at what we call histological, um, looking at the actual nerve endings and anatomical data on sensory receptors in the penis um, that actually conclude that there aren't really any nerves that have a role in sensual sensation. There's something called Meisner corpuscles in the foreskin that have a very unlikely role in erotic sensation, and they're actually decreasing age when sexual activity gets higher. So, you know, with this listener, he said that he, he prefers maybe to have made that decision as an older person. To be honest, I, I think I agree with the rabbi when you think that, you know, that there's a lot of these studies actually, when, when you look at circumcisions done in older males, mm-hmm. once already something has developed, I think whether it's for a psychological reason or whether it's for an anatomical reason, I don't know. But there are definite decreases in nerve endings, uh, sensations, and sexual pleasure and function. That makes sense. Um, but I, Sorry to interrupt. We're coming up on time, and I want to be respectful of this caller on line four. Caller, line four, thanks for waiting so long. You're going to finish us up here talking on circumcision. No no, uh, no pun intended. You're on the air. Good quick, evening, quick. though. Hey, Stan. I'll make it quick. Make it quick. Running. we got two minutes, yeah. That's not good. Okay. Those, nothing more than sacrifice. This is an archaic, and always has been an archaic, situation that has been in the Jewish faith. It should have been uh, outlawed 100 years ago. It is a sacrifice, nothing more, nothing less, as Abraham sacrificed a lamb. We sacrifice our children with these things, foreskin and so forth. I have a film of myself from 1953, my parents, the father took it, of the mole standing over the crib, and people still, of course, I'm a baby, and uh, doing it. And then drinking wine. Do you do you have foreskin envy? It's somewhat pathetic. It's somewhat pathetic. Stan, but go ahead. Rabbi, do you have foreskin envy? No, I do not. Okay, I am. Uh, Rabbi, I, I had. I have breath. But let me make this clear: uh, the rabbis are wrong. Uh, okay, but the, get, we're, we have a minute left. So, Ra, Rabbi Hitzroni, literally in thirty seconds, re, is Stan right? Is it sacrifice? What is the covenant? Thirty absolutely. seconds. Absolutely. What is the covenant? Yeah. What, 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 is Stan right? Is it a sacrifice? Is that the covenant that we make with God? And literally, we've got 30 seconds yes, here. The covenant means that I cannot do on my own, and the other person cannot do on his own. Each one needs to have one part. So we are left with one part, and the other part, yes, is cut off. Yeah. And there is something very specific that is done with the foreskin after the circumcision. Yes, well, it is a sacrifice for Hashem. It is a sacrifice. Rabbi Hitzroni, Dr. Marchbein, Dr. Yukai, thank you very much for talking about this sensitive subject. I hope it uh, was resonant with folks and we'll catch you next week 
on Equal Footing. Thank you. Thank you. Oh